So those are the first pictures I actually have of me growing up. And I was almost like, you know, two, three years old. Most families have baby pictures. I don't have those. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. And welcome to episode 172. And today I am speaking with Jack. Hi, Jack. How you doing, Lily? Nice I'm, to see you. Nice to see you again. I've met you before for one minute. At it was the, one minute. Yes, it was. But I met you at the Untangling Our Roots Summit last spring. And that's put on by NAP, the National Association of Adoptees and Parents as well as right to know i've spoken about it before you were the you were the keynote speaker there weren't you i was that was a great event too a lot, a lot of beautiful faces out there and a lot of really nice people to meet it was just a great experience was because you are you fit into all of our communities uh, you're an npe you are a a foundling as, as well is that how you I'm a foundling a foster child a foster child as well. So you fit in with the adoptee community. Yes. Check all the boxes. You really do. <laughs> and this is going to be titled Paul slash Jack's story. And we'll get into that. But your your legal name is is Paul. People in your life call you Paul. And you are, is it is it called code switching? You're going by Jack currently in your life? Right. Well, Jack was my, my legal name too, along with Scott. And then Paul. So they're all legal names. It's just Paul was the last one I was I was called. Oh my goodness. Okay. This is I've heard your story before. And normally I like to go in cold so that I just like the listener, I can hear. And if I miss any details, I can ask any questions. But I watched your documentary, or is it is it called your movie? The Lost Documentary. Life. Documentary. After after I heard you speak, I came home. I have three kids and we rented it and it was um it was amazing. It was available on Discovery, right? Right, right. Discovery Plus. Discovery and Plus. Thanks, thanks for taking the journey. It was amazing. We were just including my kids. It was I would highly recommend it. I will link the Lost Sons with the Discovery Plus below. Discovery Plus subscription below. And let's go ahead and get into your story today. So normally how we start is um in your case it's a little confusing, but let's find out who was in your your raising family as you remember them to be. So when you say raising family, the people that adopted me and raised me. Oh boy, this is we're already getting confusing. Yes. Um who you call mom and dad. Oh yeah, this how do I phrase this question? Because you've had you've had multiple parents. All right. So the Franzaks are the one that raised me from the age of about four on. So I guess that would be my raising parents. Yes. Okay. Let's talk. And that's probably where a lot of your memories, most of your childhood memories start. Am I the correct? Ones I haven't, the memories I haven't unlocked yet through hypnotherapy, which I plan to do. Oh my goodness. Really? Because they're all in there. I, you know they are. 
Tell me about the Franzak family. So the Franzaks unfortunately had their child kidnapped one day old out of a hospital. Mrs. Franzak was has just given birth to Paul. It's, it was a feeding time, and someone dressed like a nurse came in and said to Mrs. Franzak, the doctor needs to see your baby. Mrs. Franzak handed the baby over, and that nurse took off with the baby, vanished without a trace, and kidnapped Paul. So that was the first uh, experience that Mrs. Franzak had with her child, Paul. One day old. One day old. You are her son. So how did how did that happen that she went from her baby being kidnapped at one day old? I almost wonder if we should go in chronological order. Her son, we're not saying it was you, was kidnapped at one day old. What happened after that? That set off one of the largest manhunts in, in the city of Chicago since the Lindbergh baby went missing. Letter carriers, FBI, postal carriers were all going door to door trying to find this baby because it wasn't every day that someone walked into a hospital and walked out with a baby. You know, you would think that's the one place you should be safe, right? The FBI ended up living with the Franzaks for a while, tapping the phones, checking for ransom calls, anything like that, trying to find Paul. I was I was abandoned in July, July 2nd of 1965 in Newark, New Jersey. I was placed in the system. I was given the name Scott McKinley, baptized, living with this foster family. The FBI shows up about a year later and says, that's the kidnapped child from Chicago, based on the shape of my ears. They supposedly tested 10,000 other, other children, other boys, and I was the only one they couldn't rule out 100%. So they decided to... <laughs> It's, it's ridiculous, right? I know. Yes. It is. Yeah. CSI has come a long way. It's funny. I've done a couple of episodes of CSI and that would never fly. It was the shape, shape of the years. No. So so the Franzics were, were notified by the FBI that we pretty sure we have your kidnapped child in Newark, New Jersey. We need you to come down to Jersey and identify your this child. So the Franzics had to pick up. Now, mind you, this is a couple of years that have gone by. Uh, Mrs. Franzig is now pregnant with Dave, her her newest child to be. So they get this this call out of the blue, right? We think we've found your child. So the Franzigs drive to Newark, New Jersey. They're placed in a room, and the FBI brings in Paul. They literally have like five minutes to make make their minds up: Is this your kidnapped child or not? And I talked to my mom about this time and time again. She said the whole world was watching because it was a huge in the news story. And she said, we could have said, we're not sure we're going to take a pass on this one, right? Or, yeah, that's our child, because I very well could have been. Plus, they had the fact that the FBI, who was back then a major authority, telling you, this is your kidnapped child. So she said, yeah, we said that you're, you're our child. And, and that was that. And you were handed over to the Franzaks that day. Yes. How old do you think you were? At that time, I was born in 1963, and this is almost 1966. Okay, so I was you know three three okay. years old, almost four when it was all said and done. And at the time, you were called Scott, and then all of a sudden, now you're being called Paul, and you're being raised by the Franzaks. Hmm. Yeah, I went from being called Scott McKinley. I was baptized from the foster family. The foster family wanted to keep me; they wanted to adopt me. Until the FBI sh showed up and said, "That's the Franzak child." Do you remember? Do you do you have memories of the McKinleys? No, I don't. Actually, it was the Eckerts. It was Fred and Sharon Eckert, and their daughter Susan's the one that actually actually remembered me. Just I'm sorry, Janet Janet Eckert, which is a it's pretty cool. I got to meet her and 
got to go go to the house that they actually had me in for that year. Oh, wow. It was pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, I don't have any memories. I don't have memories till I was like 37. Yeah. You're kidding, right? <laughs> yeah. <I'm kidding>. Okay. <laughs> so you're being raised with the Franzaks. All right. And then I know what happens next, but something happened at around 10 years old. You were rifling, snooping through some documents in your home, right? I was looking for Christmas presents. It was that time of year. And I thought, you know, my parents have to hide the presents somewhere. My mom was upstairs doing something. My dad was out. So I figured, you know what? Maybe it's in the crawl space in the basement. Where else could they hide them, right? Because there's got to be a lot of presents. So I snuck Opened, I moved the couch. I opened the little three by five door and I went inside the crawl space trying to find this big score. I'm looking around and I see in the way back a bunch of boxes. I thought that's got to be it. It's got to be the Christmas presents. So I, I went in there, started opening these boxes, and all I'm finding is newspaper clippings and sympathy cards and letters about some kidnapping. I'm like, these aren't Christmas presents. What is this, right? So I look at one and it says, Sad city drags on, hunt for missing child. And I look and I see a picture of my mom and dad. They look really, really sad. Then I see another headline, search drags on for Paul Joseph Franzak, kidnapped child. I'm all, Joseph Franzak, that, that's me. So I got all excited. I was like, this is cool, right? So I grabbed a few of the, few of the articles and I ran upstairs to my mom. And I said, well, what's this about? What's this kidnapping? My mom turned around and her face just turned red. And she looked at me and said, how dare you snoop around the house? Those aren't your things. I said, yeah, but this is about me, right? And I guess she figured, she realized I wasn't going to just walk away. So she said, you were kidnapped. We found you. We love you. We'll never talk about this again. And I was like, like all the wind was taken out of my sails. And I put my head down and I walked away. And we never talked about it again, but I never forgot those words. You find out you're kidnapped. Your parents were probably never planning on, on telling you this. Well, that's, that's, the, that's a good question, because why would they save all those things? They had all these sympathy cards and letters from all over the country, all over the world, actually, and all these headlines and newspaper clippings that were cut out carefully. So they were saving it for a reason. I don't know what that reason was, though. I can't even imagine how traumatizing that is to have your child kidnapped at one day old from the kidnapped from the hospital. How was your mom growing up when you were a kid? Okay, so to put, it, to put it even into further perspective, the year earlier, my mom had a stillborn in that very same hospital. Oh. So now she's had two children, and she walked away from the hospital with none, oh. right? So that was really a crushing time. I can't even imagine the tragedy and just the feeling of despair that my mom and dad both had, right? It's, it's, I can't even, can't even fathom it. No, I have goosebumps just thinking about how horrible that must have been. And so my mom, she was, my mom is the strongest woman I've ever known in my life. What she went through, she was an amazing mom. She was a little overprotective, as you could imagine. Yes. And then right at the time that they got me back, they had Dave. So she went from having no children to having two children. They just moved into a new house. So say she was overwhelmed, doesn't even touch it. Oh my goodness. How was your relationship with your brother growing up? Uh, we were, I mean, he was my brother, you know, we were just completely different people. I wonder why, <laughs> you know, thinking back now, it all makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yep. Like we had, we had nothing in common. We, we didn't think about things the same way. We didn't see the world the same way. We were drawn to completely different things. And he had this really complete easiness with my mom and dad that I never had. You know, it's just all these little things that 
looking back, they all make sense. But when you're growing up, it's like, this sucks. You know, Dave's got it easy. I have to work at everything. Yeah. So we, we were never really close. Yeah. As we got older, we even drifted farther apart. But I never, I never really felt like I fit in. And the older I got, that became more apparent to me. I didn't look like them. I didn't act like them. I was drawn to things I was never exposed to. Like I taught myself how to play musical instruments. I was into acting and all these things that there was never music on in the house. My parents didn't listen to music. No one played any instruments. I taught myself how to play guitar and then bass. And I was in bands at 13, 14, 15 years old. Wow. So all these things that I was drawn to, I was never exposed to, just made me wonder, why am I like this? You know, why am I like this outcast in my family? Mm-hmm. And then even being called Paul never really felt right to me. Of course, I didn't know why, but it just never, never felt right. I think that's why I was drawn to acting and things, playing different people, because I wasn't really comfortable being Paul. And just curious, your acting and, and your musical abilities, do you still do that now in life? Absolutely. I'm still in a band. Awesome. And I still do. I, well, I have a film out, as you know, right? Yes. And I, yes. I, I, still do, I still do commercials and things if I have time and I can fit them in. Good for you. Okay. Okay. So at what age did you continue this search? I'm assuming it was in adulthood at some point. Yeah. So my whole life, I moved a lot. I've had over like over a hundred jobs. I moved probably 40 times in my life. But the one constant was I always had those those newspaper clippings with me. I just, I always kept them with me. And it's, I mean, when you move a lot, you tend to lose things, right? I never lost those newspaper clippings. Mm -hmm. So I think something in the back of my mind was telling me that those are important things. I just don't know why, but I really didn't start working on this trial, this identity issue until I had my daughter. Emma Faith in 2009. Now, doctors are always asking you, what's your medical history? And I always spotted off what I was told. But you know, the older you get, you start thinking about things like, what are the chances of me really being that kidnapped child? You know, taken from Chicago, found in New Jersey a year and a half, two years later. It just doesn't make any sense, honestly, right? Yeah. And the fact that they used to shape in my ear as a, the determining factor, it's kind of hard to believe, right? Yeah. But in I always wanted to ask my parents, like my ex-wife, Michelle, and I used to joke about my parents would come and visit us to hang out with us and see Emma. And we'd always joke about taking hairs off their pillows and trying to do a DNA test to find out. But back then, it wasn't really a thing that you could afford, you know, unless you were part of a crime or something, you just couldn't have DNA tested. So that was was, was dead in the water. But I did have baggies of hair, which I I kept, right? But then in 2012, I was at a CVS out here and I saw an Identigene kit and it was like 23 bucks. And I was like, now that I can afford. So I bought a kit and I put it in my closet and I thought one day I'm going to, I'm going to use this. And so 2012 came along, Emma was three years old and it was, it was really gnawing at me because I was thinking about the medical history and all this. Am I, am I being a good father by not really knowing my medical history? And if I'm really Paul, my daughter, am I being genuine? Because how can I be the best father for my daughter if I really don't know who I am? So in 2012, my parents were in town visiting. They were here for a week. And at the last second, I'm almost ready to take them to the airport to go back to Chicago. We're sitting in the kitchen and I kind of blurted out in just a casual way. Hey, mom, did you really ever wonder if I was your son? My mom's like, "I, I guess we thought about it. Why? I'm like, well, what if we had a way to really know for sure? It's like, well, I, I guess we'd want to know. I said, hold on. 
I ran to the closet and I got that DNA kit and I popped it on the table and I started unwrapping. I said, let's do this. Let's find out if I'm really Paul. And I, looking back, I know I got him off guard. I mean, I love my parents, but I just, my whole thing is leave no stone unturned and you can't live a lie. So I really wanted to know for sure. So we were swabbing away. I packed it up and I'm like, this is it. I'm going to find out for sure after all these years, right? All these years of wondering, guessing, imagining. So I take him to the airport. It's a 10 minute drive. It was the longest drive of my life. We didn't say a word. Got to the airport, hugged each other goodbye. They got on the plane. A couple hours later, when they got to Chicago, they called me. They said, do not send that kid in. We don't want to know the answer. That was it. Now, I'll tell you, in my mind, there was no question that kit was going to be mailed in. You can't be this close to the truth and just go, you know what? Let's just put it in a, sh- in a, in a drawer forever. Couldn't do it. Yeah. What I did do is I put it on my desk in this hallway in, in our house that I passed a hundred times a day. Michelle said, don't do it. Honor your parents' wishes. My parents said, don't do it. I knew I was going to do it, but I waited about five days. I walked by that kit every single day, look at it. And I could hear it going, toss me in the mail, toss me in the mail, right? So I came home from work one day. I, I said, that's it. Sick of this. I grabbed the box, walked across the street to the mailbox, and I went to put it in. When, when you, it got stuck, halfway in the mailbox, it got stuck. It was, it was like the, the very last opportunity to do it or not do it. So I, I kind of stood there and like laughed to myself, right? And then I just banged it in. I just knocked that baby right in the mailbox. That was it. We're turning back. How did you get those results? By phone. phone? I was at work. Yeah, I I was working for a college. And the guy, my my cell phone rings. And the guy asked me my name, asked me a couple of security questions. After I passed, he said, this is so-and-so from Identigene. He said, your results are, there is no remote possibility that you're the child of Dora and Chester Franzak. Lily, even though I knew this, I knew this all my life. Once you hear it, it changes everything. I felt the color drain from my face. I got all sweaty. And I started thinking about everything I thought that was my life really wasn't. You know, I was raised Catholic, Polish, Croatian. You know, my birthday is April 26th. I'm a Taurus. Are all these things true? No, they were completely gone. So everything I thought I knew about my life just vanished. Oh my gosh. What did you do after you found this out? I called my wife and I said, Got the results. Just like I said, I'm not Paul. I don't know who I am. And she said, you know exactly who you are. You're Paul Franzak. You're my husband. You're Emma's dad. And I said, I wish it was that easy. I said, to you, that's who I am. But to me, I have no idea. That's, that's how we left it till I got home. So I, I immediately thought I need to find answers. All I thought about was that the Franzaks raised me. They were amazing parents. They had this horrible tragedy happen to them. Their child was kidnapped. So I thought, I'm going to find their child, right? They gave me the greatest gift, a nice life. I want to, re- I want to repay them by finding their kidnapped child. Yeah. I had no idea what I was embarking on. I was so naive. But I thought the media, who my parents hated, because back in 64, when Paul was kidnapped, they stalked my parents. They were climbing telephone poles. They get pictures of them in their house. They followed my mom to church. I actually bought pictures on eBay of the reporters that took pictures of my mom praying the rosary, doing all these different things, right? They were stalked. They hated the media. I thought I'm going to use the media to help me because I'm just one guy. How am I going to find someone that was kidnapped almost 50 years ago? 
I'm an X-File guy. I've got X-File tattoos. I believe in conspiracy theories, all those things, right? There's one reporter out here in Las Vegas, George Knapp. He's like the old school reporter that knocks on doors. He's won numerous Peabody Awards. He's cracked Area 51. He's just, he's a a co-host. He does the Coast to Coast AM radio show, which is all about, you know, paranormal, things like that. So I thought he's the guy for me. So it was a Saturday afternoon. I sent him like three sentences. This is my story. What do you think? He got back to me immediately, said, I want to meet you. That Monday, I met him at KLAS TV studios out here. And we talked. And he said, we got to get your story out there. We got to find this guy. And he, he kind of side glanced me and he goes, by the way, don't you want to know who you are? Right. And I said, I, I guess, yeah, that wasn't really the mission. I want to find Paul. And so we, we started working on a, putting a segment together to air. Before it aired, he said, have you told your parents yet? And I, I said, no. He said, you better tell them because when this airs, it's going to be a shit storm. And you, don't, you don't want them finding out by the news. And he was right. So I thought the best way to tell them, I have to send them an email letter because they're both nearing 80 years old, hard of hearing. They're not going to hear the complete phone call. They're going to focus in only on what they hear and they're going to shut down and it's not going to go anywhere. I thought if I send them a letter, they could process it. They can read it at their own speed, read it over and over again, to really understand what I'm trying to say to them. Basically, if you actually, if you go to Who Was Paul on Facebook, the letter's actually there. But I just, I just wrote it from my heart basically said, I love you guys. You gave me a great life. I want to I want to find your son. I'd love you to help me on this journey. Let's find him together. And uh, that's what I sent. After you sent the letter, did you hear back from your parents? I heard back and it wasn't what I was expecting. They called me. My mom started screaming at me. What are you doing? We asked you not to do this. We're not good enough for you. My dad gets on the phone. He said, one thing, you're an asshole. Yeah, it didn't go the way I expected at all. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's all right. It didn't detour me at all. So it still aired. It aired. And boy, did it go big. The next day, I'm getting letters from Barbara Walters and Matt Lauer, right? I got a, I got a jet waiting for you at the airport. Every, every possible TV show, every talk show, they all wanted to talk to me about what, what I just, just aired. It was, it was amazing because I thought, we're going to find this guy. We're going to find him now, you know? I was so excited. Did you get tips? Did they receive tips on who potentially the real Paul Franzek could be? How did that work? Yeah. So George Knapp and I set up the Who Was Paul Franzek Facebook page, which is still on. Okay. Got like 24,000 people now in there. But we started it and people started writing in. You know, I think, you know, so-and-so might, might be Paul. Have you checked this? Have you tried this? And it just, it was amazing. And I answered everybody. It was like a full-time job. I was so excited. I had one goal. I want to find my parents' kidnapped child, and this is going to help us do it. Were you worried that you wouldn't be able to find him? That thought never crossed my mind. Not at first, yeah. So I, I went to New York, and I met with all these different networks, and I, I wanted to, to find the best outlet that could help us cast the widest net to hopefully find the real Paul. And we decided to go with Barbara Walters in 2020, because wow. the other shows were cool, but I had my, my wife, Michelle, with me at the time, Barbara Walters, she immediately took Emma and put her on her lap. She had coloring books for her. And she just, just played with Emma and talked to us like we were the only people in the world. And it made us feel really safe, secure. This is the person we're going to go with. And we did. I ended up doing two 2020s with Barbara Walters. Oh, two, two of them. How did that go? What is she like? <laughs> she was amazing. 
I got to spend a lot of time with her. We went to New Jersey. Funny story, went to New Jersey where I was actually found abandoned on Broad, Broad Street and Cedar Street in Newark, right outside of McCrory's Variety Store, which is now a Nike store. People doing heroin on the street. And there's Barbara and I shooting this segment. And the camera guy's like, Barbara, you can't wander off because there's a lot of scary people around here. But uh, it was just a great experience. And she was amazing. She was just, so when you interview with her, you've got to be sitting almost knees touching. And she just gets down to it. And she's just amazing. And when you talk with her, even though there's people around you, all that matters is you and her. That's it. That's amazing. So you even went to the street corner where you were abandoned as a baby. Right. Now, let me talk about that for a second, because you are not Scott McKinley. You are not Paul Franzak. You have the information that you were abandoned on a street corner in New Jersey, outside of this this variety store you speak of. Wasn't there signs of, of physical abuse on you? Yeah. When I was found abandoned, I had a cold and I had a black eye. Cold and a black eye. And you were probably, I mean, they have probably had to guess how old you were. You were around two-ish, less than two. So it turned out I was actually a twin because I was a twin. I was a little smaller for my age. So I was actually older than they estimated. But you were found alone. You weren't left with your twin. Right. I was found alone. Brand new little suit and a brand new stroller. Really? So so it's a brand new suit and stroller, which to me is hair, but then a black eye and abandoned, which is extreme, extreme abuse and neglect. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to laugh, but the first time I heard that a little tiny baby boy with a black eye left abandoned on a street corner, I, I, I had tears, by the way, the first time I heard your story. I'm just, I can't imagine as a mother doing that. You're a parent. You, you get it. Okay. This brand new revelation. You're a twin. You have a sister out there. Yes. So CC, I got to work with CC Moore, who was the utmost, most amazing genealogist in our country. Absolutely. And she had a team of soccer moms that helped pro bono. I did a, an episode of Coast to Coast AM with George and CC heard the story. She reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, we, we have this little soccer group, soccer mom group that we're, we're doing genealogy. I think, I think we can help you. Now, this is when it was just getting started back in 2012, 2013. You know, it's like now everyone does DNA, you know, Ancestry, 23andMe. Back then, it wasn't like that. It was just starting to catch on. So for them to actually help pro bono, it was amazing because they helped 24 hours a day. It'd be like midnight. Someone would text me, hey, we found this this lead or I'd find something and reach out to them. It was just, it was a great just a great team dedicated to hopefully find out who I was and maybe find the real Paul too. Oh my goodness. Were they able, to, okay. So you have CC Moore on, which is just amazing. A lot of people have talked about her. Yeah. She's working on your case. Was she able to figure out who you belong to? And was she the one that cracked that you had a twin sister? So it took a lot longer than we thought, almost two years. So I did DNA with Ancestry and all the companies. No matches are popping up. I finally get one day, I'm checking it every day, right? Numerous times. I get I get a message. You have a match. This guy, Alan Fish, second cousin. Like, holy shit, that's huge, right? So they reach out. Hey, uh, you know, we're, we're a match. He goes, oh my God, I'm so excited. I don't know who I am. I was adopted. I'm like, no, come on, really? So we, we talked a little bit and we decided that we were going to, we were going to meet. I was going to meet him in New York because he lived up upstate New York. 
this is the first hit of a real family that I have. So I thought if we can work together, we can, we can build our tree and we can find out who we really are. A couple of days before we're supposed to meet in New York, he wakes up, chest pains, not feeling good. Goes to the hospital. He's telling everyone in the hospital, you got to get me, get me out of here quick. I'm, I'm going to go to New York and, and meet my, my real family, my, my cousin. He's all happy, right? He died the next day. Oh no. Oh, Jack. Yeah. yeah it was, it was crazy. It's, it was the hardest phone call I ever had when his, his family let me know that Alan just, just passed away. And that's how this whole story has been. It's like one step forward, two steps back. The extreme peaks where you're just elated beyond belief. And then just the abyss of just despair and tragedy. How frustrating. Oh, that's so sad. So the first time you have a family member, he passes suddenly. I'm so sorry. Did you ever find another match? So I had a couple of third cousins pop up. And Cece Moore and her team started working with my cousin, Amy. Amy, was she's amazing. Lives in Pennsylvania. She remembers an oral history of the family from her grandfather. Remember hearing stories about certain people that were popping up right on this tree. So Alan was adopted, but we were able to find out his his mom's name. But the, there was no father listed on the adoption papers. Get the mom's name. It turns out that she went to a, the same high school that my my second second cousin Lenny went to. Lenny is older than me. Doo-wop singer in the fifties, motorcycles, bands, girls. Right? I'm like, it sounds like me. It's amazing. Turns out he was my second cousin. And because of that, they were able to track it down. It took a long time because we had different family members and different stories and family history repeated orally. And that makes it tough. Cece Moore and her team were able to find newspaper clippings and articles that actually listed my family, my real family. And then we had DNA that confirmed it. But my mom and dad, Gilbert and Marie, they had twins on October 27th, 1963. And it was in the paper because it was the same birthday as an older sister. So of course they mentioned it and that was the proof we needed. And that's how we actually found out that I had a twin sister, Jill, Jack and Jill. Jack and Jill. Yeah. But it wasn't the happy nursery rhyme, right? No. A lot worse than falling down the hill looking for a pail of water. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You find out your parents' names. You find out you have a twin sister, Jill. She's and missing. she's missing. Yeah. So the, the very second that Cece Moore called me, I was at work. She's like, she texts me, can you talk? Whenever I got that, I knew I had to find a place quiet to talk. So I left my office and I went down in my car. I called her. I said, yeah, what's going on? She's like, well, the whole team's here. What do you think of the name Jack? I said, that, that's a good name. It's a strong name. She said, that's your name. Before I could even process that, she said, but there's more. You have a twin sister, Jill, and she's vanished. Here we go again. I have another mystery to solve. So when you were abandoned, Jill wasn't abandoned as well. Or, well, I suppose you didn't know because they didn't have easy DNA testing back then. What happened to Jill, do you think? It's a good question. So when I first started this journey, talking to real like close family that I've met and stories that I've heard, horror stories, I surmised that Jill might have been accidentally murdered or died and my parents couldn't explain me. They couldn't explain one twin around the house. So that's why they abandoned me. But I've changed my mind over the things I've learned over the last couple of years about my parents. And I think that possibly they just got rid of her too, but she never made the news because she wasn't part of the Franza kidnapping, right? Oh, right. 
just another child abandoned or left, whatever. So I really think she's alive. And I'm telling you right now on your show, you're going to find her. I hope you do. Have you had any leads, any accidental jills along the way? I've tested, tested probably about seven or eight so far. A couple of them I got to know really well, and I really wished and hoped that they were Jill, and they really wanted to be Jill. You know, Lily, when I first started this journey, I didn't realize how many people have no idea who they are. There's thousands and thousands of people out there. So when you connect with one, you really hope that they're the person you're looking for, and they really hoped it too, but DNA ruled them out. NECMEC, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, who I work closely with, is now in the midst of testing two women that could be Jill. And every day I get emails, I think I might be Jill. So I'm, I'm working with a lot of different people that one day we're going to find her. That is so sad. Your parents, they sound like there was a lot of sickness in this family. Your, your biological parents I'm speaking about, and I believe you called them Gilbert and Marie. You said that there was a newspaper clipping of because there was an older sister with the same birth date as the twins. So you you all, you have more siblings, biological siblings. I had two older sisters. One passed away. I got to meet one. And I have a younger brother who I've spoken with but never met. What are they like? They were raised by not the nicest people. When I met my older sister, she was nice at first and then just vanished. My younger brother was super nice at first and then said, I think this is a scam. I want nothing to do with this. Don't contact me again. Does your older sister remember you? Remember the, her twin younger brother and sister? She said no. Do I believe her? You know, it's funny. Um, You said you saw the Lost Sons yeah. documentary. We were able to actually meet this this lady who was a babysitter for one night at, at my, my parents' house. She had actually babysat for the neighbors. My parents lived in Pitney Village, kind of like a housing housing project. Okay. So the houses were real close together. And so my mom leaned over the fence one day and asked the babysitter if, she, if the babysitter could watch two daughters. She said, yeah, sure, no problem. So I guess my parents are going out for the whole night, coming back the next morning. The babysitter Susan shows up to watch the two girls. Yeah. Comes over, there's two girls dressed to the nines. My mom said, you know, just take care of them. They'll be fine. Just give them whatever they want. And don't worry about the twins upstairs. Don't even go up there. She's like, what? There's twins upstairs? So my parents left. She called her sister to help her babysit because now she had four children to watch. She went upstairs to, to find the twins. She finds us in a dark room in separate, kind of like cages, cribs, separated, dark room, dirty clothes, no food, no milk, dirty diapers. I had a black eye. So she was she was traumatized. She's like, oh my God, I've got to help these these children. So she spent the whole night with Jack and Jill while her sister took care of the older, the two older sisters. My parents came home the next morning and she was was telling her about the older sisters and about how she took care of the twins. She said my mom got furious, started screaming at her. I told you not to worry about the twins. Don't even go up there. You you don't you don't you listen? Don't you understand? She was so shaken up. The babysitter that she left without even getting her money. She just ran home, told her parents. Parents said, it's not your business. Concern yourself with that. Don't say a word. And that poor babysitter had lived with that her entire life. When I met her just a few years ago, it's like it happened yesterday. When I hugged her, I felt all the emotions that she felt when she hugged Jack for the first time with that black eye. 
And it was it was beyond moving, emotional, that this story has affected so many people for so many years. I'm so glad you hugged her. I can imagine being a teenage babysitter and a parent telling me to ignore the twin babies upstairs. And this has affected so many people, just like you said. At this point, can we go back and do a check-in about Paul Franzak? I, I mean, that was your name, but the, the kidnapped Paul Franzak from the hospital. So while this is going on and you're unraveling your your personal story, what do you find out about Paul, the Paul that was kidnapped from the hospital? So when I first started this, everyone said, don't waste your time. You're not going to find someone that was kidnapped 40, 50 years ago. Not going to happen. And I said, oh, I'm going to find him. Around 2018, someone reached out to me. I'll call the person the tipster. I think I had, I think I know the child, the kidnapped child that you're looking for. Now I've heard this a hundred times, but I, I always check out and vet out every single tip that I get because you never know, right? That one tip, as crazy it might sound, that might be the one you're looking for. So I reach out to her, start talking with her, and I'm like, you know what? I think you're right. I think this is this is this is the real Paul. So what happened was Dave, biological Franzak, Dave Franzak, had his DNA on 23andMe. Someone from, okay, so Kevin was the real Paul. One of his daughters put DNA on 23andMe, popped up as uh, a niece to Dave. Right. The only way that would happen is if Paul was Dave's brother. Yep. Because there's no other children from, from the family. Dave didn't tell me this. And once that, once that, that happened, I'm like, oh my God, because the tipster told me this. One of my mom's, Mrs. Franzak's cousins, who was really close with me, put DNA on 23andMe. And sure enough, it popped up as a first cousin. So I knew that we had the right person. The next day, both David and the daughter took their DNA off. But I already had, I already had the information I needed. Then another daughter popped her stuff on. I had my cousin email, message her back and forth to get some information, talking about grandparents and stuff like that. The information that we got sealed it. We knew for sure we had the real Paul. So you find the real Paul, but you also mentioned that your brother, David, took the his information off of the site. Didn't he want to help you unravel this mystery? Oh, no. It's, that's, that's the funny thing. I still don't understand why he did that. Because my only goal is to find my parents' kidnapped child. And when this first started, he said he would help me. And then he said, no, I can't believe you're doing this to mom and dad. I want nothing to do with this. But then by by chance, he, he got that information and then he didn't say anything about it. I found out, yeah, it was, it was, I felt so good. All I wanted was for my mom to reconnect with her real son. Chester, my, my dad had passed away at this point, but Dora was still alive. When Kevin found out that he was the real Paul, the same time he was diagnosed with cancer very aggressive cancer and he had a short time to live and COVID just happened. So the, the initial plan was to have them meet face to face, but with the diagnosis and with COVID that wasn't going to happen. He was found in Michigan, just four hours from my mom's house, his whole life there. So he was four hours away from the hospital. He was kidnapped. The real Paul's name is Kevin. What on earth happened? Who kidnapped him? Crazy, right? So there's a lot of, Details that I don't want to get into right now, but it's going to come out real soon. Yeah. It's it's a good it's a good uh, story. All right, we will wait. Did your mom ever get to speak with Kevin? 
here's the beautiful thing. I happen to be in Chicago with my daughter, visiting my mom. You know, phone rings. It's Kevin. So my mom's downstairs, and we can hear her talking. Emma and I are on top of the stairs listening. We're high-fiving each other, like, oh my God, I can't believe this. This whole journey, everything that, that we went through, this is the reason why we did it. My mom is talking to her kidnapped child. And it was the most beautiful thing. I mean, I think we both teared up, you know? And I listened to him talk. And, you know, they really didn't have anything to say. My mom hasn't talked to her child since April 27th, 1964. But you can just feel my mom wanting to get close, you know? And then he, he mentioned that he, he just diagnosed with cancer and stuff and he couldn't do anything and all that. And they talked two more times. And then he passed away April 25th, a day before his birthday. And my mom got to say goodbye to him. Mm-hmm. That was the most, most amazing thing that you could ever, ever ask for. And after that was done, a little bit later, my mom and I talked. She said, I hated you for doing this, for starting this journey, but I am so grateful that you did. She said, I got to say goodbye to my biological son, but you're, you're my Paul. You're the real Paul to me. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad your mom got to speak with him before he passed. Did you ever speak with him? No, but I sent him a book. From what I heard, he read it and gave it to one of his friends to read. Mm. And his, he has children, right? Yes. Are they in the pictures? Any, are anyone from your family in touch with them? So they visited my mom a couple of times. And they send her, you know, cards every now and then and pop in once in a while. Mm-hmm. That's, they that's are, pretty cool. Yeah, that is. They're, they're her biological grandchildren. That's right. right. And you don't have to give away any information you don't want. But did they, did they know before the DNA test that their dad was kidnapped? No clue. No. He was raised as Kevin. His, his mom told him that he was his dad with a football player who left the family. And, and that was it. That's what he believed. Oh, my God. I can only imagine how family dynamics are with with the the trauma and what everyone has been through in your family. How is your mom today? My mom's fantastic. She's 87. She just passed her driving test. <laughs> yeah, she was so happy. She called me because, oh my God, I, I passed that test. I'm like, great. She's doing fantastic. She's uh we actually got we actually talk about things that we never talked about. You know, she actually had a photo album that the Eckerts from the Foster family gave her, and she never showed it to me, but she kept it all these years. She finally gave it to me. Uh, my my original haircut, that they saved the hair, pictures of me with the, with the family, you know, the, the Foster family. So those are the first pictures I actually have of me growing up, and I was almost like, you know, two, three years old. You know, where most, most families have baby pictures, I don't have those. Oh gosh, yeah, you don't. You have don't have the a lot of information about the first couple of years of your life. Right. Your biological parents. Oh gosh, I I've got some hard hard words for them. Keep them in my head. What happened to them? Are they are they still alive? What did you ever find out what happened with them in their life? I'm I'm finding out more and more every day. I'm finding more more close family. I just found my mom's the second cousins for me up in Tennessee. Actually went there a couple of weeks ago and spent some time with them. Super, just great people. Both my mom and dad died at 61. Have you found out any information or stories about what sort of people they were like? Were they, were they involved in the community? Did they work? Did they, were they part of their other children's lives? So when, when I talked to my biological sisters and brother, they were, they said their childhood was horrible, of course. you know, and if, I mean, what do you expect? Right. Yeah. Yeah. My mom was a heavy drinker. 
smoker and gambler. My dad had some kind of back problems and he just, we actually got to talk to somebody who knew them just recently. And they said that they were very, it was a very dysfunctional family. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very dysfunctional. Um, I don't even know where to go with that. Once you've abandoned your twin children or, or if there was murder or abandonment, whatever happened, I can't even imagine how you go on in life. So today, today where you're at, you have you have a lot of mysteries still on the table. What does life look like for you right now with your search? It's this looking pretty good. Working like I said closely with with NECMEC, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Um, it's it's funny. I went to Atlantic City a couple of years ago because I figured I can't do any any more on my own. So I need to open a missing persons case. Because the only way you can work with NECMEC is if you have a, a missing persons case. So I had to go there in person. So I went to Atlantic City to the police department, opened a missing persons case. It was funny. I uh, I went to the window and I told the lady why I was there and I wanted to fill out a form. And she's like, well, you can't find her? I said, no. She's like, have you tried Google? And I just looked at it like, you an idiot? <laughs> what? Have I tried Google? So a detective comes out. He's, he's all excited. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do this. You know, I'll fill out the form and everything and gave him a copy of my book. And he's like, yeah, my dad was like, my dad was a cop back in the '60s over here, so this is this is really important, right? I leave. I think I'm thinking this is great. I can work up with Neckmeck now. I have a missing persons case number. I, I'm trying to get updates from this from this cop. Months go by. Months go by. Never returning my calls. I'm like this is ridiculous, right? So I finally I finally contacted Neckmeck and I said, "This is the missing persons case. How come we're not getting anywhere?" She pulls up the files. Goes that was a fake number. That's not a real missing persons case. There's you don't have a missing persons case for Jill. Like what? So 50 years later, ACPD is still burying this case. So I was able to Ray Harp from NECMEC put me in touch with Jason Maloney, Trooper Maloney from the New Jersey State Police. And his 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 uh, specialty is cold cases. So I actually opened a real missing persons case and I was able to start working with with NECMEC. Uh, they have a great composite, age progression composite of what Jill could look like. And now we're testing people and the case is moving forward. And I think we're going to find her. Gosh, I hope you do. We're over the hour mark, Jack. So at this point, I should ask you if there's anything else I'm not asking about your story or if I should go into if people want to find out more about you. Well, I'll tell you what, there's, there's so much more to this. If you want to do a part two someday, let me know. I'd be honored. Yep, I really okay. do. But if people want to reach out to me, bronzekfiles.com. Or who was Paul Franzek Facebook page? I answer both those. And if you write it to me, I will definitely answer you. Also, I have two books out, The Foundling and True Identity. If you want to actually, the books are written like you're on the journey with me. So if you really want to get down and deep, digging graves and things like that, then I suggest you check those out. Movie of the Lost Sons on Discovery Plus. And soon to come out, the Franzek Files podcast. When is that coming out? Do you have a release date? Not yet, but we're working on all the final details, and I think it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to hear more about that. I will link all of these things below. Let's see here. If people want want to get in touch, besides the books, I'll direct them to fromzackfiles.com. That's fantastic. Okay. And also, also, if any of your listeners, anyone has any questions about what to do on their journey, how to get started, reach out to me because I've, I've knocked on doors. I've dug graves. I've done it all. This, we only have one shot in life. You can't live a lie and never leave any stone unturned. 
Thank you so much, Jack. I really, I appreciate you taking the time aside to share your, your whirlwind of a story and of a life. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for doing this today. Well, Lily, thank you. Your show is amazing. And I wish you all continued success. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us. Thank you.